Welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. We our prayers God and God in direction and guidance. Help me to understand because I know you know what's best. And sometimes I think I know, but I'm not sure. And, but I know you know. And so we pray, expecting to receive an answer, which means I need to be listening then. I need to be ready to hear, to know God's will and guidance for my life. It'd be like, I'd like to think, it'd be like you're lost in a city and you're looking for directions. And so you see a police officer and you stop and say, Can you tell me where such and such is? And the police officer begins telling you directions and you drive off. That, 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 that's, important. that's how we pray. We say, God, help, I need this. And then we don't spend time listening to what God might have to say. It's like uh, you're, you're driving down the road again, lost, looking for directions, and there's signs saying this way, or think I can do this on my own. So it's not enough just to ask and pray. We have to come to this place of being willing to be still and know and hear from God. And that's why we're doing this series called Hearing God. Do we make decisions without considering the activity of God in our life or what he's saying to us? Um, the Bible, as we said at the very beginning, is the primary way God speaks to us. That I, We can't say that enough or emphasize that enough. God will not con- con- contradict any word he gives us with the word he's already given us. The Bible is his authority. But there are other ways that God will speak to us. And so we're going to look at that today in notes. We're going to look at some of these today. One is an audible voice. Now that is probably the most uncommon way God speaks to us. We know from the Bible he does speak. Um, little Samuel was in the Eli's house as a servant to the priest. God called him in an audible voice while he was sleeping at night. And Samuel, when he realized it was God, got up and said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Listen, that's it. We know Paul, who was sold there on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians, and Jesus called out to him in an audible voice. Paul heard Jesus say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that one utterance from Jesus that day and Paul's willingness to hear it and change and bend his will to God's will changed the course of our history forever. Paul was used as a great missionary, planted many churches, and much of the Bible, God used him to share his word. A more recent example I've heard of is when, uh, when God used an audible voice from that uh, from a very respected American theologian called Francis Schaeffer. You may have read some of this stuff. He and his young family needed um, temporary housing during a transition in his life. And he was very concerned about it. had little money, didn't know what to do. And so he cried out in prayer, God, show me. Where can we live, Lord? We need a place to live. Show me. And he says immediately he heard an audible voice, not in his mind, not from another person, for he was alone in this room praying. And the voice simply said, Uncle Harrison's house. And though the voice was perfectly clear, the answer made no sense to them. He had an uncle named Harrison. Uh, he lived in the house. It was very unlikely he would offer his house to them to live in, as he lived there. Yet the voice was so direct, he felt that he must follow up on this and obey the voice he heard. So he wrote his uncle asking him what he planned to do with his house for the next year. And he was astonished when his uncle replied that he had planned to live with his brother 
but next year we'd like to offer ourselves Peter and to Francis and his family. So God will use our voice. Secondly, still small voice. While using an audible voice may be the most uncommon way, the most common way is that still small voice. We've been talking about Elijah on the mountain, remember? Uh, God was not in the thunder or the fire or the earthquake, but we expect God to be and use to speak to us. It was in a whisper because it's that close to us. We just have to be quiet and we'll hear God in a still small voice. Now, this inner voice takes the form of thoughts that are our thoughts, though tangibly not from us, they're from God. Nehemiah described it this way. He says, so God gave me the idea. He recognized that this idea was from God to call together the nobles and leaders of the city along with the ordinary citizens of registration. And one of the ways we, we, we can know that these are God's thoughts and not my thoughts, because that's usually what people struggle with, and it does take practice, but if, if we ask for wisdom, we're saying, God, I, I want to pray for wisdom, and, and uh, we shouldn't doubt then that it comes from him, because the Bible says in James 1, 5 and 6, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. I love that, our generous God. And he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Isn't that nice to know, God, I need wisdom. Would you give it to me? Yes, says generous God, I will give it to you. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. The third way is through angels. Now, in our society, unfortunately, we tend to worship angels. Angels are not to be worshipped. I, I can't remember where it was. In one place in the Bible, somebody bowed down to an angel. The angel said, no, get up. Not to be worshipped. They are messengers from God to communicate with people. In the Old Testament, you know, you see, there's many examples there Joshua and Balaam and Gideon and Samson's parents and so on. In the New Testament, angels came to speak to Philip, Cornelius, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, God often used heavenly messengers to give his message to people. I remember, um, probably I would have told you this, or some of you, anyways, <clears throat> probably life group, but back when uh, I was probably about 19, living in Old Sound, and my, my girlfriend, her name was Glenda, lived in Flushing, about 35 minutes away, <laughs> and it was a winter evening, and I really wanted to see her. You remember that? I still like that. And it was a snow, in Old Sound, we lived off Georgian Bay, and there was a huge blizzard. It got honestly a whiteout. And I, and I, I kind of I have this pet peeve when I watch people in the news saying they're in a whiteout and see, like, I can see. You know, like, that's not a whiteout. The whiteout's when you can't see. And this was the worst whiteout I've ever been in. There were lots of them. But this was the worst one. And, and I'm driving to see Glenda in Flushington. And you don't stop in a whiteout because you know someone can hit you from behind, right? But this whiteout, I had to stop because I could literally, literally could not see. And I got out of the car. And I stood beside the car in this white oak, and I remember saying to myself, I might as well be on Venus. I don't like Venus, but Venus, because no one can help me. You, 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 and I, it, this is nothing. I found out later some people did die in that white oak. And I walked around the car, and I looked, I walked in front of the car, and I saw right in front of the car a highway sign. So I knew I'd stop just in time, because I'd be going off the road into the ditch. 
And I walked around the car again, and there was a guy there. Now, why is there a guy here in the middle of nowhere? This is in the country. This isn't in a town or a village. This is like farmer's land. Like, no one's around. There's no house. We have no car. And this guy, he's probably from me to, well, maybe to the chair here. And I can't hear him. He's talking. I can't hear him because the, the wind is going so hard that you can't, your words did nothing. But I sensed from him, this guy in the middle of nowhere saying, go back to your car. And I sensed that, so I went back to my car. I turned around and couldn't find it, first of all. It wasn't that far away, but I just saw a little bit of headlight reflecting off the snow. And I did. And I don't know how I did it. I got home. And uh, <laughs> says, I think Mark's coming up to see me. And your dad said, oh, no, he won't be stupid enough to come out here in this way. Huh? Knock, 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 knock. <laughs> what did I look like, Linda? Soaking, drowned. I was drowned just, just being on the car a little while. Some slowly was. But I realized not two years later, I think that guy was in Egypt. I really think that's a message from God saying, get back in your car. Don't wander away. Don't be silly. Because there's no one there. And I, I never thought of it at the time. But I think now that that was God sent the messenger in the middle of nowhere, no car. I just had this impression of saying, get back in your car. He will use angels. And then there's other phenomena. There's other ways that God, another methods God uses that are attention. Uh, in fact, I can, I will name, do you know what you say? I'll name a, a Bible character, and you can probably shout and tell me the way that God used uh, a different kind of way to speak to them. So, in Moses, God used what to speak to him? Burning bush. One check. <laughs> How about if I mention the word Balaam? Donkey, you guys, good for you. Awesome. How this might be a little harder. Belshazzar and Daniel. Christophanes. Say it again? Christophanes. Christophanes. He was writing on the wall. I think was it? Like the Belshazzar was throwing a party and said his heaving hand comes up, starts writing on the wall. Calls Daniel to call that one. How about the day Pastor Dave mentioned this one list last week? Gideon. The fleece. Then you guys know your stuff. So God will use other ways to speak to you, communicate his will, um, to get your attention. And then there's dreams and visions. The Bible tells us this in Acts 2. In the last days, and people, we are in the last days. Getting closer all the time. God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. We shouldn't be words scared that we're prophesying. Prophesy just means I have a word for someone else. And you, you do it in such a humble We'll talk about that in a couple weeks or next week. Very humbly. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And there, there, you know, it mentions dreams and visions, and, and visions are similar to dreams, except you see them while you're awake. I've had one in my life. It's pretty cool. But God often speaks in dreams. That's how he gets my attention. And sometimes even when you're awake, he may give you a vision to communicate something regarding your life. In the Old Testament, God gave Joseph, remember, a couple of dreams. Talking about his future. Your brothers will bow down to you. I'm sure Joseph must have held on to that promise because he went through very dark days. He went, uh, was falsely, his brothers sold him into slavery. Um, he was falsely accused, put in prison. He was forgotten in prison. And he must have thought, 
There's no way. Like, how do you remember? God said, give me a dream one day. My brothers and others will bow down to me. And it happened. In the New Testament, we know that God warned the wise men who came to worship Jesus as a child not to go back to Herod. He warned them in a dream because Herod wanted to kill Jesus. And so he warned them. In the New Testament, Peter received a vision from God which led him to change his attitude towards uh, the Gentiles. So there's many examples. And God will even speak in dreams and visions to unsaved people. Pilate's wife, remember Pilate's wife when Jesus was on trial and, and, and Pilate's wife said, don't, I just have this dream. You're not, you should not, he's innocent. You should not condemn him. Um, Nebuchadnezzar had, was it Nebuchadnezzar? Um, you had a dream as well concerning his future. You're not a believer. And that gives me hope because it tells me that God works in the lives of those who are praying for, who are not yet saved. That God will even speak to them and call them. And they're probably not going to tell you about it, but you have to trust that God is working in their lives. I remember in my uh, church out west that we supported a missionary uh, who was the president of the Bethlehem uh, Bible College. And I told you this before, I'm sure, but I, I remember before it was known that he was saying in, in the land where he was, the missionaries could not go in. And, but Jesus was showing up to in dreams to the, the Muslim people, showing up and saying, and, and, and people were coming to Christ. And Jesus was wearing these white robes and speaking to them. And it happened so much, it was so common, this missionary told me, that they, this college, put a, um, a, an ad in the newspaper saying, if you see a man in white robes and you're green, that's Jesus. And later, I think someone wrote a book about it. And so it's very common for God to work in dreams and visions and non-believers. And then through other people, I, I want to talk about this one today. A very common way God speaks to us is through other people. And I have a recent example of this in my life, in the life of our church. <coughs> How God will use other people to speak to us. So a couple of weeks ago, the elders, the six of us, went away for a retreat. Overnight, everybody behaved pretty much. And I think it was, I know it was a Saturday, but um, we were talking, and out of the blue, David uh, Kruke said, You know, talk about Aiken. I think it's in Joshua 7, if you remember. And I, you know, I remember Aiken. I remember studying him way a long time ago. And Aiken was, it's when Joshua and the Israelites were going to Jer Jericho, and they, they defeated Jericho, right? They went around the wall and blew the trumpet, and the walls came down. And God gave specific instruction that they were not to take any of the spoils for themselves. They were not to hold on to any of the treasure. They were to give it all to God. But Achan said, no, I want to take some of this for myself and my family. So he buried some under his tent in disobedience. Israel was now on to their next conquest, which was the city of Ai. And it should have been easy because they had more people. Ai was easy. And on paper, it looked like an easy win. And Joshua sent up his troops, and they were defeated. Joshua was defeated. The Israelites were defeated. And Joshua was going, God, like, why? Like, why? What happened? Like, this should have been easy. We did Jericho. That's not easy. But I should have been simple. What happened? And God said, well, there is sin in your camp. And Joshua was all And through a process of, of separation, it came down to Achan and his family. And Achan confessed, I hid some of the treasures buried beneath my tent. I wanted to better myself, better my family. But his sin actually cost his family. It was a, it was a reason for their demise. And it cost Israel defeat in an eye. 
And once they were taken out and the sin was confessed and Achan was removed, Israel went up in one. But remind me of the seriousness of sin in the camp. I've been saying those words under my breath since that ministry. Sin in the camp. Sin in the camp. That was Saturday. Then Sunday, I was walking out after this, this, the, uh, the uh, church, walked down the hall, stopping at the study school room, talking to Brian, and trying to discuss what the lesson, the lesson today was on. Achan. Joshua Center. Really, isn't that amazing? We just talked about that elementary. Now it's the Sunday school lesson on Aiken. That's amazing. That's that's something. And then so I go home, and the next day, Monday, October 17th, um, uh, Sam, where else committed to hear from God with me, including a daily devotional from experiencing God. And the devotional was, guess on what? Aiken. I go, God, you're trying to tell me something. You know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I mean, this is not a coincidence. Some people may say it is. And I want to read you that devotional and send your notes. I want you to have this and treat it as a devotional for yourself. So this is from October 17th. The verse of Joshua 7, 13 says, Get up, command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. So these are things for God's glory, for God's purposes, and someone's holding on to them. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. So I'm going to read the lesson and read your notes. Just as obedience of one Christian can bring blessing to others, the sin of one Christian can bring harm to many others. The children of Israel were rapidly advancing into the promised land. They experienced a miraculous victory over the city of Jericho, and they were continuing their, toward their next conquest. To their surprise, they met decisive defeat as they tempted, tempted to capture the small town of Man. They sought God's explanation for their failure. He provided it. He revealed that someone among them had disobeyed his clear command, not keep any possessions from Jericho. The disobedience of one man and his family had paralyzed an entire nation. Achan thought he could conceal his sin, don't we all? And it would not affect anyone else. God chose to demonstrate the destructive power of one sin to his people. One act of disobedience cost Achan and his family their lives. It caused his countrymen to lose the battle. Innocent soldiers were killed. His sin had serious repercussions for others, denying them the blessing, power, and victory of God. Your sin will have an impact on others. Choosing to disobey God may cost your family God's blessing. May cause your family God's blessing. The power of God may be absent from your church because you are living in disobedience. Your friends may suffer because you are not living righteously. Diligently seek to obey every word from God, for you do not know how your disobedience will affect those around you. Scripture promises that if you obey the Lord, your life will be a channel of blessing to others. I couldn't take that as a coincidence. And so the very first thing I did was search myself. That's that's I'm responsible for me. And tell you, it's it's so good and helpful to practice Psalm 139, searching my God. And see if there's any offense. And it's funny because last Wednesday, well it's not funny, but uh, the group that I'm being mentored in with other pastors, but Pastor Ray, Pastor Ray says, guys, I want you to meet in threes today, and I want you to confess any unforgiveness or goodness in your life. And they said, I want you to do more than that, I want you to under, not much just confess it. But I want you to, to share and confess it, how you played a part in it. And more than that, I want you to pray for those within the group. 
So I met with two other pastors and myself, and we confessed and my pardon and prayed for our enemies. And so it always begins with me. As you read that, it begins with you. Where, like Achan, are we trying to take and receive? And Jesus says, no, you've got to be. It's better, more blessed to give than receive. That's what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Ephesus. He was leaving them. He said, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed. That means there's more happiness and joy, contentment and satisfaction. The word makarios in the Greek. To give than to receive. There's a blessing we seek to give and seek instead of take and keep. Who does that though? It's all about what I can hold on to, right? It's all about me and, and, and putting me first and others next, isn't it? I want to tell stories today. Can I do that? I love telling. I personally love it when people tell stories about me based on experience. And some of this you'll know because I've been your pastor for four years. And, but let me just retell some of it again. Because this has been such an important lesson to me in, in ministering and pastoring uh, churches for 33 years. So, you know, at one point, I was called and took a church out in um, Western Canada. And it was, honestly, just known as a very tough church. No one wanted to go there. Very nice people, but very challenging. They had some losses and some devastations, and, and they had a split even, which never happened in that denomination. I'm not aware of any other one in Canada. And my first Sunday was on December 4th. On December 3rd, Glenn and I attended a district Christmas function. And I remember this one person coming up for me from the school I attended. They weren't a student. They were in the um, faculty, administration faculty. And he said, Mark, what are you doing? Why are you going to that church? It's going to eat you up. Why would you do that? And they're looking at me so seriously. Like, and I wasn't afraid. I was just surprised they said that. But I went to this church, and, and this is the church I mentioned has a daycare of 120 kids. The church was wanting the daycare to be a source of revenue, but instead it was becoming a, a burden and a financial, financial burden to the church. And before I came, the board actually decided they wanted to shut that daycare down before I came. So they had been met and agreed we're going to shut this down, but they needed to be as a board and have an official vote for the records, and they had a secret ballot. And they voted, and to count the ballots, the, the, the motion failed. And to this day, they don't know why, because everybody said in publicly, to shut this down, but the motion failed and the daycare was going to open. When I uh, went there, because it was a church that they knew they, they were a challenging church, they, they had to have a pastoral support committee. They formed a pastoral support committee because, um, just because of what happened in the past. And I got to choose those people. So after a while of ministering there, I got to know people and I chose who I chose to be on my own personal pastoral support committee. It was their doing, not my doing, but they said, I want you to choose. I chose the most generous and other focused people. Those who demonstrate to me that they give and receive and who were focused on others. So I began, began one day, I said, Let's, why don't we just daycare that's losing money, that's like this, this noose around our neck or just this weight around our neck. Why don't we, instead of looking at it as a money revenue, let's look at it as a ministry. 
And let's begin by hiring Christian workers. Can we do that? Apparently we could. We check. Because of a Christian organization, you can advertise. You must be a Christian to work. And all the workers we hired were to be Christian. We, we interviewed and made sure that they were. And because we're now first in ministry of Jesus, not a social I mean, we began there. Let's have weekly chapels. And can we do that while parents complain? We said, well, let's have a home. We're now holding weekly chapels for your kids. Not one parent complained. In fact, they were glad that their kids, even though they didn't go to church or follow Jesus, they were glad their kids would hear about God. In fact, one lady started attending our church. And I went up to her one Sunday and goes, why? Like, what happened? She goes, well, these chapels you're having, my, my daughter's asking me questions and don't know the answers. So I thought I'd better start attending the church to get the answers to give to her. We said grace before snack times and lunch. And I bought, brought the director of the old, uh, daycare, brought them on to the senior church staff along with the youth pastor, pastor of seniors, administrators, and so forth. And then it costs to do that. And there's a personal cost to that because I personally made a sacrifice to get to know the names of those 120 kids. And not just them, but their parents. And their parents sometimes, but their pets especially. And I invite them over to uh, the staff and lunch. I could walk to my house in the church and invite them over for barbecue lunches. And Sundays I'd show up just with pizzas for everybody. And just love on them. Wouldn't you know that after we decided to make that a ministry first, the blessings started to come in. Uh, we hired our very first, that church hired his very youth, first youth pastor ever. We had two youth. And over the course of the next year, we had 50. And that youth pastor came, guess from where? The staff of the daycare. We were not hiring Christians. And this young man was going through to be a pastor. And we knew him. He was in our midst. And we hired him as our first youth pastor. The daycare began to be successful, not just spiritually, which was awesome. Kids knowing Jesus and coming to Jesus would give them a Bible every time there was a decision made. And that happened quite often. Because now they're having chapels, we're talking to them. But financially as well. I mean, this thing that was just wanted to be shut down, it was just a, a burden on the church, it became this blessing. In fact, they, the, the, the daycare, got a grant, was able to build a $40,000 playground on our property. And that's back in the early 2000s, so we can do a lot more now. They redid the gym floor. They got parents, they got, uh, they got grants to place the flooring in the church. And some of our youth, our youth group, youth group began to work at the local Tim Hortons. And I would go to Tim Hortons for coffee because the coffee, it's another story I told about, the coffee of the church was terrible. And I was telling the Tim Hortons evangelist how grateful is for the youth of our church because they are his best employees. I tell them how terrible the coffee is in our church. And you know what he did? I will donate coffee to your church every Sunday. Every Sunday they came with crass and the cups and the cream and the sugar and everything and donated Tim Hortons coffee in the church every Sunday. The blessings started to come in. And I knew we turned a corner when one day the one impoverished cash strapped daycare that we were trying to keep afloat just out of the substance of the, of the blessing that they had handed me a check. And here it is, a picture, I kept a picture of it, for $28,000. For no reason. 
Just saying thank you for meeting us. Thank you for blessing us. We want to bless you for no reason. I um we were blessed in the community as well. We had schools around us. Uh, a primary school that Carly attended, and a middle school that Bethany attended, and the high school that Bethany and Ashley attended. And I went over to the primary school, and, and talking to the principal, his name was Rob. So I got to know him. He goes, man, like, yeah, we have these events, and we have no parking at our, our school. There's no parking. He said, Rob, park in our church spot. Really? You do that? Yeah, we'll move the gate open. Let me know. We have a, a, an event. We'll keep the gate open, and you can use our parking lot. How much? Free. No, no charge. And it's no coincidence that Rob one day at one of these events asked me to come and pray for the event. That doesn't happen in schools nowadays, especially in BC. I went to the high school, and high school, we got to know the principal, and, and he said, Oh, yeah, like we just, at exam time, we have no room in our building. Like we have more kids than rooms for writing exams. I said, Listen, watch you use our gym. You would do that? How much would you charge? Nothing. We'll give it to you. So, we got their schedule, and the kids, we had high school kids coming to our building a couple times a year to write exams. And the school said, look it, we're going to buy the chairs and the tables for you. You just keep them. That's expensive. It's just that when you, when it's true when Jesus says, it's more blessed to give. When your attitude is, I'm going to give and not expect anything back in return, the guy just says, well, I'm going to give you something in return. Be honored. That's the heart of God. And it needs to be the heart of our people. My last church, I won't go into as much detail, but we arrived and they had gone through tough days as well. They had lost people. We just started being generous in the community. So much so that I told you that Ryerson University called me. We've grown. It just changed the church. And Ryerson University had this Halo project, which if you look up, it's a North American project. Studying churches and the effect they have on the communities. And they wanted to know why this church that grew to about 300 in a village of 200, how that happened when other churches were closing down. And I told them, I told them, it's Jesus. He's our functional Lord. And when, yeah, 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 what's the real reason? What's the real secret? Come on, be honest with me. It's Jesus. It's generosity. It's serving as he serves. And so they then reported us, a survey on us. And I'm going to read you the article that I was asked to put in the newspaper. This is, what I, this is what I wrote. Under the leadership of Dr. Michael Daly of Arson, we began to identify all the events, programs, and services here at Chapel were involved in that served their community. These were not to be money-raising events for the church, but purely areas where the church was giving to its community. So we looked at things like the Love Does event. If you ever heard Bob Goff, we brought Bob Goff in. Didn't charge anybody. In the spring, in our summer vacation Bible school, we had 250 kids at vacation Bible school in a village of 200 people. We actually, we actually hired buses to go and pick people up. We noted things like how church provides space at no charge for a community children's choir to practice in, for an Albert's mother's group to meet in, for a counselor to meet with clients, and for victim services when they needed a large room. In our area, there was no place we needed a neutral spot for a disaster happened. Families are in the we said, you can use our church to, to gather. And it was a lot. Having filled out lots of paperwork, participating in conference calls, and numerous emails, I heard back from Dr. Daly this week, writing this newspaper, about the results of their study. 
I was impressed, I was shocked, actually, and pleased when they report to me that the economic value, because that's what they're interested in, we're interested in spiritual, but they're interested in economic value because it's for us in the university. That the economic value here in Chapel had in the community for the past year was $1.9 million. The Hill Project will share this information with the provincial government. Don't underestimate how God will use your own spirit. And you think, who does that? Is it about me first? No, it's better to give than to receive. And God will bless you for that. It doesn't make sense in the world's economy, but in God's economy, it wins every time. You give not expecting, and God will give. So, are we to conclude? How do we conclude? I want to finish with a real story today. Of one of the most successful churches there are today, reaching others. Uh, this church began uh, sharing with our elders group in 1996 with 40 people meeting in a two-car garage. 40 people in a two-car garage in 1996. As of 2018, um, 85,000 people called this church their home. It's not just about the numbers, it's because of spiritual growth. And why? What happened? What were some of the decisions they made? How did they get from a church to 40 to 85,000? I want you to listen to the pastor tell you himself. Watch this video as we close. In fact, Paul told Philemon this in Philemon 1.6, I'm praying that you will do what? Let's say it, that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. As you understand all the good things we have in Christ, our only reasonable response to the one who gave his son for us is to give our lives back to him. God doesn't just own the first 10%. He owns everything that we have, and we want to use it to be a blessing. We're going to start being generous now. Here's how this really changed my whole life. I told you I lived for years with the scarcity mindset. So true. Well, a uh, little over 10 years ago or so, our church had grown to the place where now people around the world were starting to say, can we purchase your resources? Can we get the sermons, the videos, blah, 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 blah. And we were just trying to be faithful to the church. We didn't have any systems or in place to do this. And let me just be real transparent when I tell you, there's a lot of money in selling resources, okay? Not only for the organization, but if I can be really transparent, the person who creates it can get royalties off that. Who would that be? That'd be me, okay? And so that was, you know, always a reality. And so they said, can you sell it? And, and the problem is we were in the peak of debt back that time. In fact, as a church, you could say we were living paycheck to paycheck. We were always, always tight. And they wanted to, you know, can you sell these resources? And someone on the team said, what if we gave the resources away? And the minute they said that, I had two emotions. One is I thought this is absolutely the right thing to do. And the other thing is I had sheer terror because I was so afraid, okay? I'm just being real honest with you. And I remember thinking, why don't we sell the resources and give a part of that? Or why don't we sell them until we're in a little better shape and then we'll give them away. That was, I thought, okay? I took a um, trip to a developing nation, and this was during a time when my wife Amy was on a crazy diet kick, and we were eating no meat, okay? Oh, thank you, Jesus. We have been set free from that little short period of time, okay? Glory to God for meat. And I was joking around at church about how, you know, some guys go out in town to get drunk. I go out in town to get a steak, you know? 
And I was just joking around. And I said that in a message. And then we flew to this really, really poor part of the world. And if you've ever been to a place, it was just, just heart crushing. We're talking like cardboard houses, you know, no floors, no, no electricity, no running water, you know, the toilets a hole outside and such. And so this lady had us over for dinner. Well, that's relatively speaking. So we're outside sitting on logs for dinner. I looked around and everyone there had greens and such. And she put in front of me meat. And I was really confused. I said, you know, why, I asked my translator, why do I have meat? Does she have meat? And she said, no, 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 she didn't have meat. Why didn't anybody else have meat? And she said, well, he, my translator said, well, she heard that you haven't had any meat. And she really wanted to bless you with meat. And I said, I can't receive this. I, I want her to have it. Can she eat this meat? And he said, no, she probably hadn't had meat in several years. But she was saving up because she wanted to And I watched a lady who didn't wait to be generous. And I came back, and we sat in a little room, and we said, we're giving the resources away. We're giving the resources away. We're going to do it now. And Pastor Jerry's in this service, and he can verify that very week, we started being blessed financially. And... Ten years later, we're 100% debt-free as a church, own no man anything, and we have been blessed along the way beyond any sense of the word. Uh, last year, there were 355,600 pastors that downloaded free resources. 355,000 pastors around the world downloaded free resources. We've given away about 9 million free resources, not counting 237 million YouVersion Bible apps to people all over the world. And as a church, we now live with this driving thought, and that is this. We will lead the way with irrational generosity because we truly believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. We will lead the way with irrational generosity. We will not wait until later. We will give now. Why? We truly believe it is more blessed to give and receive. And uh, yeah, and if you go to their website, you Google their church, lifechurch.tv, they'll come up with four categories. One is about us, and the other one is what they're about. One of the five things they're about is there's dangerous prayers. I love that. Mm -hmm. Dangerous prayers. Like prayers that make a difference. Like lives are going to be changed. It's a bit messy. And at the very, you'll see the bottom, free mm -hmm. resources. Free online. That's, that's part of what they do. And just mind, it just made me mindful today. This week, since God drew my attention to Aiken, that if we think we want to hold on to something that will be better for us, we're going to be in for recruiting rude awakening. We need this better to give than it is to receive. And that's my testimony of pastoring churches. When you are generous, when you have the heart of Jesus, who didn't come to the judgment to serve, lives will change, your church will be changed. We're going to conclude today at our tables. We'll take maybe five minutes or so. But I just want you to think about these questions. Because we don't do them here. We probably won't do them at home. 
But have you ever experienced God speaking to you any other way through scripture or some small, still voice? Ask him to remind you of anything you may have forgotten written down. I love this one. These are my questions. What question would you like me to ask you, God? Write down the first question that comes to your mind. Then place your pen on the paper and get to write. Say, God, I'm just going to trust in you. I'm going to pray for wisdom. I'm going to pray for your thoughts and my thoughts. And if you don't hear a question, then, then ask one of these. Is there someone you want me to encourage? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Is there someone you want me to do something for? What do you want me to do? Is there someone you want me to pray for? What should I pray for? What would you like me to stop doing in my life? What steps should I take doing this? That might be a very important thing. What would you like me to begin doing in my life? What steps should I take doing this? What should I stop? What should I begin doing? Is there anything I need to confess? Wow, if you were first start today, uh, you would understand how important confession is. And ask forgiveness for God. I've been doing that. Is there anything I need to confess and ask forgiveness from someone else? For some, for, from someone else? For maybe someone's hurt you or you've hurt them and you need to ask them for forgiveness. Can we just take a few minutes and just quietly ask God, what do you want me to do? Listen, what do you want me to do? Jesus name. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.